Welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. Radio, Pink Elephants Podcast for the IT Management Community, Episode 42. Troy, it's 42. It's 42. Can you believe it? Uh, it's like that's like a, a mystical number, right? Well, it definitely has this kind of even sense about it. Well, I think it was in Hitchhiker's Guide to. Oh, yes, 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 yes. It's the ultimate answer to the question of life. To life, the yeah. universe, and everything. Absolutely. So I thought for the ultimate answer to life, the universe, and everything, I would have on my vision of that. And can we summon uh, Ray Garrett? Ray Garrett, Ray Garrett. <laughs> Only if she can stop laughing long enough. She's our oracle today. Ray, you're our oracle. <laughs> she is our oracle. She's going to keep us from making pop, R&B, and music references this week, Troy. I doubt it. I don't know. That's pretty high order for you, Chris. <laughs> I mean, you talked about a waterfall or something last time. I know. And someone actually tweeted uh, about TLC. And I was like, okay. They actually thought that was funny. All right. This week, uh, so service level episode uh, 41, uh, great. Still loving uh, the show we did on Lean and, and Agile. But this week, we're taking on overcoming organizational inertia, the IT professional as uh, a change agent. Ray, do you have any 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 idea about this? <laughs> you know, Chris, I kind of do. It's- I know you do. <laughs> Let's go there. Was that a leading question? Yes, that was a leading question. <laughs> That's a very leading question. Ray, before we get too far into this, tell us real quick what you do there at Pink. I am a principal consultant at Pink, which means that I get to go out and help organizations improve their IT shops, often using ITIL, but more often being a good change agent and teaching them to be good change agents so that they can actually make their improvement efforts work. So you teach people to be empowered, you empower people, combination of both. I mean, how does that work? How do you become a change agent? So I teach people to become empowered. Nice. It is really about teaching leadership and teaching people to have confidence in their own ideas. And leadership, not just at top down, but how to take, you know, your own accountability, right? Exactly. And that you and I, we've talked about that many times. For us, that's kind of one of the core root causes to the issues. And, you know, Chris, we were discussing that just the other day. Yeah. But I, I think it's really interesting because if I'm not mistaken, Ray, your boss is? My boss is Troy Dumoulin. Okay, so there we go. So this is kind of like leadership in action, isn't it? A 360 degree anyway. <laughs> you know, though, Chris, as hard as I try to train him, I don't know. <laughs> You just can't take that horse to water and make him drink. <laughs> so so let's, let's get this going. Troy and I, we've spent uh, two years, over two years now, talking about all sorts of concepts. And we've had some, we actually had two shows on culture so far. We've never really gotten into creating change agents. And I'm fortunate to have known you for, for some time. And, and you and I served on the board of the IT Mafia here in Rocky, Rocky Mountains when I was on the board. Uh, and you're a tremendous leader when it comes to this. What are some key things people need to be thinking about as they even consider the idea of change agent? Let's not get in too far into the weeds yet. Okay. Well, the biggest thing they need to be thinking about is that nobody likes to be told what to think or what they're going to change. 
I always say, yeah, I'm a great change agent. I love change when it's my idea and I'm in charge of implementing it. Well, so if we expect other people to embrace change, then we had better make sure it's their idea and that we truly are empowering them to take take the initiative to implement it themselves. Um, and, you know, we cannot explain a change to people enough to convince them they want to do it. We have to make them part of the decision-making process. And then you're going to get people really excited about moving in a different direction. Now, are there some people, and Troy, this is a question for you too, because I love your perspective, because you've worked with so many consultants and so many organizations. You've spoken for so many years at conferences. I just got to ask, you know, um, let's get the pink elephant out of the room. Uh, not no pun intended. Uh, actually, there was. So uh, are there some people that just are just just not going to change? I mean, can I just ask that question? Are there some people that just, they won't change and then you just got to work with that? Or, or is, it, is it too soon to go on that road? Well, let me um, actually help and I'll bring this extra context for Ray as well. And I do believe that there are certain national cultures which there we are stronger or, or more extreme in the conversation that Ray's bringing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely believe that Western cultures are individualistic centric. So, you know, the that famous episode with Star, Star Trek where, you know, Spock's dying and he says, Jim, the, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, the one. Mm-hmm. That's that's not U.S., <laughs> right? That's not a Western culture statement. Spock was not a Western. He's definitely from a different planet. Mm-hmm. But uh, there are some cultures you know, that are more group or family or or not so much individualistic, but the group of group concept overrides the individual. And while it's still true what Ray said in all accounts, it's more so in our typical Western cultures. That's my personal view. Mm. I want to get Ray's thoughts on that though. So I, I actually don't agree, Troy. Probably one of the most involving leaders um, in all of history was Gandhi. Hmm. And he was not in a Western culture. He was in an Asian culture. And what he did was move people to uh, accept and adopt a change. And he let them make it their own. And then together they decided the nonviolent approach to getting to their end was um, the way to go. It was very much group-oriented. I love it when we have a little history on the show. <laughs> and that, I, I, that's a great analogy or great uh, context and scenario. I think there's some tr- definitely some truth to that, and that's why he was the, the leader that he was. Even in those cultures, you could actually argue that really do we have separate geographic cultures today. I do believe that's true, but we are seeing a blend with the the world is flat Joe Friedman concept where basically, you know, Western values, unfortunately, I think are seeping across the entire globe, which brings us back more to this individualistic, me-centered kind of look at life. And the oxymoron of the term Western values. So, uh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. So uh, that was for Ray. Ray, talk to me a little bit. You've worked with organizations. I've actually seen you present on this. Um, what are some ways when, you know, you, you've, you've talked about now making sure that other people want to be involved in this. I threw you the, the curveball about oh, there's some people just for, 
just will not change. And and Troy, you actually talked about the cultural differences on uh, the four shows ago. Uh, what are some things that organizationally to think about? I don't want to get too too too. I don't want to go too far into this yet. But is it easier to start with a small team, or does the size of the team matter when you're talking about this change or creating change agents? Do you even need to consider a team? Do you work one on one with people? What are some tangible things if you're a leader in your organization or someone just individual and you're thinking about being a change agent or creating change agents? What is a change agent? I think we have to go even further back, right? Yeah, we could. Is this somebody with a secret cone of silence and uh, fancy shoes or what is this? I like that Get Smart reference. Good. (laughs) So a change agent is somebody who sets out to make an improvement ostensibly to something Mm. and they have to convince other people that this improvement is a cool idea, right? And so is it an individual task? Heck no, it takes a team. So the agent has the idea, but the idea affects more than, can you be a agent to one? Can you mean, is that possible? Is that even a concept? Can you be a change agent of one? If you decide you're going to change just yourself, sure. Because you're in charge of you, yeah. But if you're going to change more than yourself or something that impacts more than just yourself, you absolutely have to have more people involved. And do the skills transfer to from your professional life to your personal life? I mean, can you be a good change agent at church and uh, a, a poor change agent at work? Or, or, do, or does it transfer back and forth? Can you help me with that? It can if you choose for it to. But I mm. will tell you, I know a lot of people who are really good change agents at work mm-hmm. who aren't so good at being change agents in their personal life. Or at home, actually, as a parent or a family. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. I was I was wondering if that was the case. I didn't think it went that way. I thought actually, that's why you guys are pros. Well, look at look at that Big Bang Theory with uh, Leonard's mom, right? Yeah. <laughs> she's, a, she's a child psychologist and he's got issues. <laughs> yeah. So, Ray, why is it that you think that sometimes people are better at work with change than they are outside of work. And you know what, Chris, I I wouldn't say they're better in one place or the other. Uh I would say that it is just really hard to always live at work. And so usually people are different in their home life than they are in their work life, and they can be good at it either place. So and and they can be good at it in their church life if that's you know where they see that the improvement is needed. But it's part of it is awareness. Part of it is just like John Cotter says, you have to figure out the sense of urgency and find that burning platform. If in in your personal life you don't think anything needs to change because nothing's uncomfortable, then you aren't going to change there. At work, we're always being encouraged to change. Because every new leader, every everybody is always saying, okay, so how are you going to improve next? Well, typically, if you're going to improve for the organization, you've got to look out to the organization. And if you really want to improve the organization, you got to get other people involved. Interesting. So, Ray, you're bringing up an interesting context with, or it might have been you, Chris, that brought in the, uh, the spiritual dimension to this. But so I think about then belief and faith and, and, and really kind of passion that kind of comes into this. Does a change agent have to, at their core, believe in the thing they're trying to you know, influence? I believe they do, because I believe the first thing we're trying to do as change agents is create a team of evangelists that really do believe in the change and really are willing to stand up and publicly say, 
this is a great idea and let me tell you why. I'm going to say yes with a qualified disagreement because you, you got me on the Gandhi thing there. So the core team, you know, you and I talk about core teams and Chris, we've talked about in the past as well, mm. kind of this this craft of creating this right dynamic mix of internal stakeholders to help with future state design. And we talk about different kind of people. And yes, one of the key roles on this is a change agent. Sometimes would it be possible, Ray, in your mind to populate somebody into that team we believe would be a change agent, but they have yet to uh, drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak. We hope that that will become part of their belief system as we progress. Troy, yes, it is. But there is a reason you would put someone like that on the team. And it is because they are influential with their peer group. Yes. And if if you have a very influential peer group leader, you absolutely have to get them on board. And so that would be the kind of person that you would, even though you're pretty sure they're not totally sold on this idea, you would bring them into the team and you would really create an environment where their opinions and their um, worries about moving forward with this idea were respected, heard, and really a lot of times acted upon. So a change agent in training. Uh Uh-huh. A change agent in training. But the the lead change agent has to remember that they have to compromise. It's it's a little bit uh, being schizophrenic as a leader. You have to have sort of a political schizoid and say, you know what? A, I never thought about it that way. And they have a really good point. So we better be taking that into consideration. And second of all, even if it's not all the way where we wanted to get, if it's a close approximation to moving toward the target, that's probably a good place to be headed. So maybe we don't need to have the whole win right now. Maybe we can, you know, listen carefully to them as one of the members of the team and compromise. So you're saying basically if I if I populate this group with people that I think need to be key influencers, we'll use that concept, but then come across as this very rigid uh, brick wall, do it my way or the highway leader, we're probably not going to get where we want to go. That's exactly right. So we have a couple concepts uh, at play here so far. You know, obviously this whole conversation starts off with organizational inertia, overcoming it, this concept of a change agent and being empowered. We've also kind of tiptoed into culture and multiculturalism. And Ray, you even talked about an awareness you know, one of my favorite PhDs, John Kabat-Zinn, says awareness requires only that we pay attention and see things as they are. It doesn't require that we change anything. Is there a role for mindful contemplation in being a change agent? There absolutely is a role for mindful contemplation because sometimes you find out that the way you were thinking about it, boy, you missed the mark. And it's time for you to just look at what the reality is and what these people are telling you. Because for me, as someone who would love to become a change agent, right? I'd love to go through the Ray Garrett and Troy class. Well, I've gone through the Troy class for two years. Part of me thinks like, okay, that'd be great because I would want to get done what I want done, what I think is best for everyone. But whenever I hear people talk about change and change agents, that's kind of the whole point of it. Like getting done what's best for everyone. But I never hear anyone really talk about 
is how do we know? How do we know what's best? Yeah. <laughs> Boy, isn't that the $50,000 question? <laughs> but, you, but you have to have this vision, right? Yeah, exactly. So you have a vision, Troy. And I guess is in being a change agent, I mean, and you have a vision of something you want to get across in the organization. If you're not, a, you know, a, a leader who's just going to say, this has to be done, you have to have some basis as you slowly roll that out and reconsider your position and reconsider your change. I would think change agent would almost be a continual service improvement psychology. Ray, you said something important. Um, you used the word compromise. Initially, compromise to me kind of, ooh, I don't like the word because it, it, it kind of is wishy-washy. Not necessarily, but that's the impression. It almost begins the downward slide in my mind. And I see where you're going with that. It just occurred to me. Are you, are you familiar with Barbara Barbara Coloroso. She is uh, a known speaker. She's a parenting guru, and she also speaks at the education level. Wow. A long time ago, I heard her speak. Oh, yeah. A long time ago. But she talks about uh, a parenting model that has three models, right? There's this this brick wall, you know, stiff upper lip approach. Then there's the backbone parent, and the backbone parent has structure. It has some some rigidity to it, but it also flexes because otherwise we'd break, right? But then there's the jellyfish parent. I mean, anything goes and anything you want will just, yeah, we'll, you know, it's the whining kid gets anything he wants. And and how basically, you know, both extremes are not good because one in endears rebellion and the other one provides no structure, right? If you apply this to leadership, because the same thing could apply, and this concept of being willing to see others' views, the compromise approach. As leaders, we have to have that clear vision where we want to go. That's our structure. Those are the boundaries we have to have. But how we get there can have some flex in it. The, and that's the that's the backbone. Yeah, because she talks about author, authoritarian parenting, which is kind of the backbone. But then this kind of idea of permissive parenting or jellyfish parenting. And that's kind of interesting because sometimes it seems, you know, you know, are there roles for different types of behavior in this type of change agent role? Do you sometimes need to have less of a backbone to get it going? I mean, you started off this whole premise with allowing people to be aware and making them feel like they're part of the process. And it's, I don't want to say you said it was their idea, but that's what I took away from it. Well, that's, in a way, Chris, it's right, because people don't want to be told what to think. Well, that's what you said. Right? Sorry. <laughs> I did. Yeah. And so what you have, what you really have to be careful about doing is, as the change leader mm-hmm. is creating a vision that's inspiring enough that you can, that people actually do want to follow it. Mm. And then you encourage them and coach them into following you. But the main thing is you follow, they follow the vision they're going to lead the effort. And so what you really have to be careful about is not being that parent that is totally inflexible, but instead trusting the process and trusting yourself to have taught the team to make good decisions so that they can actually make the decisions to make to realize the change. Is it a continually improving cycle? You bet. Yeah, I would think you would have to constantly readjust. But you said something about, you just said now said taught the team. And it made me think, I bet you teachers 
have to know a lot about change, <laughs> like educators. They have to know a lot about teaching other people to change, for sure. Hmm. And they also have to know a lot about what to do when people get really uncomfortable about learning something new. Says the head of a former teacher's union, or a <laughs> former head of a teacher's union, <laughs> raised other life. Oh. In my other life, my first life. Um, and what we did there very much was we knew the hardest thing, probably, I tell people about about my former life was getting first grade teachers to advocate for themselves instead of advocate for for their students. And the hardest thing to do was to let them decide how they were going to do that advocacy. We could all agree on what the end state should look like. What we couldn't agree on is how we were going to get there. And so we had to negotiate that. It was very interesting. And they made all of their own decisions because in a situation where you're getting people to stand up and advocate for themselves when they aren't used to doing it, they really are uncomfortable at first. That's learning something new. And so Piaget, an old education philosopher, would say that creates a huge sense of disequilibrium. And you have to help people get to the disequilibrium and then move past it. I like that that idea of helping people get to that disequilibrium because in my experience when dealing with people in organizations, it's the people who literally are so either through for, – for whatever reason, maybe it's psychological, maybe you know they've just been unempowered for so long. They just aren't even motivated to listen. And, and involving those people seems to be so critical to even get something off the ground. Well, there are some people who really believe their efforts don't make a difference. Mm. And so part of the whole leadership role is to identify those people whose efforts to them don't make a difference mm-hmm. and make them feel like they can get some power, that their efforts do make a difference. Those are not usually going to be your most influential people, though. Yeah. Okay. But it is your most influential people that can get those people who don't think their efforts make a difference to do something differently, ultimately. Because it's those people that just are going to hang back and never want the change to happen because it doesn't matter anyway. Why am I going to go to that work? So it's the, the influential change agent that you're going to be growing who can actually influence that person to say, oh, you know, if I would just change these four things about the way I'm doing this, I could make more of a difference. I think there's also one step even before we get there, which is the change agent has to help the organization understand that status quo is not tenable, right? That they have to believe that what they're currently doing needs to change. Because until a person actually feels that or an organization uh, views it that way, uh, moving from that past practice to the future practice it's really difficult. And that's the hardest thing is, is unlocking that uh, focus on the past or the, the attachment on the past thing that they're trying to, you're trying to move away from. Yeah, there's, a, there's an interesting concept. Uh, you know, you both know I'm interested in uh, digital anthropology. But there's this interesting concept. Uh, it's called the 1% rule of uh, internet culture. And I'm wondering if, if, this, if there's some correlation between organizational culture and this. But the 1% rule kind of goes like 1% of the people online actually are what we would call in this conversation change agents. Uh, 9% of the people online are actually influencers where 90% of the people, you'll never see or hear from them. They just, they just, they're lurkers. 
Uh, so they're just along for, 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 I don't want to say the ride, but in, in organizations, is there some principle, you keep going back to this idea of influencers, is there some principle that there's a certain percentage of people that are just, because I think for this conversation to be meaningful for some people who have never really thought about themselves as this agent, they need to feel empowered themselves and, and they need to take away from the show, is there some statistical relevance to the fact that nobody's listening to me or or the fact that it just feels that way, statistically, I will never see my impact. I think that people need to take away that they are in total control of how much impact they make. Mm. And that the minute they make up their mind to be an impactor, then they're going to change their own behavior, which is going to change the way others react to them. There we go. So the minute they make up their mind... Yep. They they create a, a change within themselves, which regardless propels change in other places. There's one concept that Charles Anschu quotes on his website. Basically, there's no such thing as org change. It all begins with changing individuals, right? Mm-hmm. And changing yourself. But at the other side of that coin, Ray, I'd have to say that not all people are equal in the concept of transformation being change agents. There are people who are more influential than others, either for the positive or for the negative. And for identifying those people and selecting them, I think is key to success. Yeah, because what happens if you want to make a change and you go to identify your influencers and you realize you are one? Or you want to make a change and you go to identify your influencers and you have no natural relationship with the influencers. Or you want to make a change and you realize, oh my gosh, I'm one of the people that should be changing. Does that make sense? That's the scariest one, right? Where you go, oh, wow, it's I'm the enemy. I'm the affected. <laughs> I know the enemy and he is me. <laughs> yeah. And we shouldn't be scared to talk about that. We shouldn't. And if you are having an idea to do something differently and Mm -hmm. set out to do it, the best you can do is study it and figure out who your influencers are. And oh my gosh, that you would know them all is highly unlikely. And so then you have to figure out, okay, what is your platform to be able to get them on board for this? Is Mm. there somebody who influences them? Would it just be something like an invitation would make them go, wow, this You know, I never thought of that, but I would be a great person to do this. You really have to uniquely look at the situation. And when you look at influencers, Chris, you're looking at each of the different kind of uh, organizational groups or subcultures inside your organization Mm -hmm. and saying, okay, each one of those, I'm going to have to find somebody to influence each of those. And so I've got to go find that one or two really influential people inside of each of those organizational groups. So you have to create a a Noah's Ark of influencers. I just can't get all the influential people in accounting. I actually have to get a spectrum of people. You have to get a spectrum of people, yeah. What this really is is something called stakeholder mapping, right? It is. That's a major component of any change, including ITSM projects. You have to do your stakeholder mapping and understand who plays what role and who's going to play that role going forward. And a stakeholder might not necessarily in ITSM be someone mission critical to a particular role. I mean, you could have someone in a very minor role who is a stakeholder for a particular process who's not the, that process owner, or, or if you go all the way up, you know, not even that service owner. Well, exactly. In fact, Ray, um, you're in the middle of an engagement where we had to ensure the right stakeholders were involved. You might, that might be a good kind of case study here. So, Chris, I was very worried every time I go work with this organization, they have a lot of upper leadership buy-in Mm-hmm. And what we were really trying to do is create um, an improvement team that 
really was going to be the people who had to implement the change. Mm. And so it took me three meetings to go back and say to them over and over again, you cannot have all vice presidents in this meeting. <laughs> you have to have people who actually do the work in this meeting to make, to make this plan to do things differently. And we finally, three meetings into it, do have the right group to be able to actually know what the hands-on folks are doing and how that differs from what leadership thinks we're doing. And wow, leadership, I know you guys think that this is a really good idea, but let us tell you how this happens when we actually go to try to put it into action. It's the whole philosophy around the people who actually do the work have the answers because they are immersed in the work every day. I cannot shake, I get images in my head when I talk to Troy on the show, and, and I cannot shake what you're describing as, and this might seem preposterous, it usually does, but it's like trying to involve enough people who are building a pyramid in the decisions on how to drag bricks. It's like, I'm not, dra- I drag bricks. I Either that I'm going to say, I, you're, you're making me drag bricks, so why would I be part of your group? Or don't you realize I'm not the empowered person here? But at least you're getting an input, right? So this is a lean principle called go to Gamba. Go to the source of the thing you're trying to change. So you can't be up in Pharaoh's palace right. making CSI decisions about brick dragging. You got to go down and talk to the foreman, talk to the, the guy on the rope. So when you're talking to the guy on the rope, I would think, and this is back to Roy's meeting with you know, all the vice presidents who said, yeah, let's do this. What's in it for them? The, you know, I think there's an acronym for that. What's in it for me or whatever. But uh, what's in it for them to be involved in this other than, I mean, I as a brick dragger would go, I totally want to be in that meeting because I've been dragging bricks long. And if we actually just used a little bit of wood or you allowed me to wear shoes, we'd get this done quicker. But I don't, I don't know if everyone has the mentality, if you're going to drag bricks, you might as well help it. Does that make sense? That's why you have to have a strong vision Mm. and you have to make sure that vision tells people that they're going to be able to tell the better way to to drag bricks. And you're also saying to them, for once, somebody who's three steps removed from you is not going to tell you how to improve brick dragging. They're going to ask you the expert because you are the expert at brick dragging. Okay. Now, very rarely during the building of the pyramids were there gigantic thunderstorms. But right now, it's time for Ray Garrett's Thunderbolt Tip of the Day! I want you to remember that you're going to make change contagious. The people who do the work know the answers about what has to really be improved. They're the ones that are in the day-to-day activity. And they're the ones that when they decide the change is a good one, They're going to keep the momentum going and the change will be a reality. Well, thank you for this side trip to uh, Cairo, Ray and and Troy. (laughs) It's been amazing and wonderful and enlightening. We covered a lot of stuff and I appreciate that. Always fun. Ray, that was great. Thanks for coming today. I really enjoyed it. I'd be happy to be a guest anytime. (laughs) You can have the Oracle Ray back again. The Oracle Ray. Okay, everyone. We will see you in two weeks. Thanks so much. This is Practitioner Radio. 